Hello, you are listening to On The Topic Podcast. You'll find me at the second highest peak in Scotland. I'm Dan. And as far as I'm aware, I'm not missing my feet, but more of that in a bit. I'm Alex. And um, welcome to another On The Topic. And well, this week, we are talking about the world's most strangest mysteries. Yes. And do you know what? Ironically, some of these tie into conspiracy theories. They do. And urban legends. Which is what we've done before, guys. We've done only one Mandela effect, isn't it? Yeah. So we'll probably need to do a second one, to be honest. But we've done one Mandela effect. I'll put this all in the link in the description below, as usual. Uh, and we've done two conspiracy theories. Yes. And we Lots kicked of off on the topic era with urban legends. Oh, we did. I forgot about urban legends. OTT episode one. Was it really? Yeah. And we did, oh, was it the... The Rat Man of uh, what in what British city was it? Really random one, and yeah, and he lives in the the underpass, chewing on dead bodies or something, isn't and it? Like weird vampire kids and God knows what. Oh, it's great. Forgot about that episode. We should um, I should go. I should really go back and, and listen to those because they have some cracking episodes. It was a good episode, if I remember rightly. And I think there's such a rabbit hole here. Yeah, this is obviously going to be a volume one. I think it's going to have to be gonna have to be um and you know we've uh we've got quite a few to, to cover off dan um but before we get into that we are face to face yes it's been i mean it hasn't been that long because obviously we've done a couple of on the goes yeah and we did the, the the pub birthday but this is the first time that we're together in a room looking lovingly into each other's eyes look at your smile it's beautiful oh. um together and it's it's like old times it is it's like it's like the c word that never existed yeah I mean, we've both yeah, had C-word. COVID. Yeah, we've both had it now. recently. We're gonna get it again, obviously. Yeah, and I had chicken pox as well. You did. You got it all, and soon to have monkey pox. I'm looking forward to that one. Oh Christ, please don't, yeah. don't jinx it or curse it. You won't be giving me any hugs. Um, but yes, we are together, and yeah, we are gonna dive into um, the world's most strangest mysteries. How do you want to start? Do you want to start? Or should I start? Uh, I'll tell. You what, I'll kick things off. You kick us off, Dan. Right. Let's go down to eighteen eighty eight. Could you? Victoria, England. Hmm. London's East End. Oh. Let's go to Whitechapel. Oh no. Now Whitechapel in the eighteen hundreds was very much an overcrowded slum occupied by almost a million of the city's poorest citizens. Hmm. The streets were stank of filth. And to be honest, living conditions were very harsh. Yes. I see I've already put a voice on. I love it, yeah, yeah. yeah. Getting everyone in the mood. You're getting... Turn turn down the lights, put a couple of candles on, lock the doors, and get into the mood, because I think things are about to get a bit freaking creepy. And in true OTT fashion, maybe grab a glass of red wine. (laughs) Or a craft beer, if you mean. Uh, And start mispronouncing some names. (laughs) Oh, mate, I've got some names in my notes, and I'm going to start doing a Dan, I tell you. But we'll get to that in a little bit. So, um, addiction was quite common in, in London at this mm. time. Um, comfort was often found at the bottom of a bottle, mainly mm. gin, probably brewed in nastiest ways thought of, but here we are. As a result, many women resorted to prostitution as a means of survival from their extreme poverty. Well, it's the world's oldest um, profession as well. Mm. So, one such woman... Mary Ann Nichols, age 44, 
was the first known victim, but of who? Uh, oh. Jack the Ripper. Of course. Uh, so Nichols was found, or she had found employment in London as a domestic servant, but she'd, had, she'd struggled to keep her job down because she was an alcoholic. Hmm. So after losing her job, she moved into a common lodging house. She was last seen at the lodging house, leaving about 11pm on the night of the 30th of August. Intending to raise funds by prostituting herself, as she was struggling to pay for her bed. She was last seen alive at 2.30am by Emily Holland, who she shared a room with. Now, Nichols had bragged that she had raised her lodging money three times over that night. Busy night. Yeah. But, of course, she spent all that money on alcohol. Ah. As you do. Yeah. As an alcoholic. However, she appeared unconcerned, and the two parted ways. And then Nichols was last seen walking towards Whitechapel Road, where her body was discovered approximately one hour later. Oh. She's dead. Brown bread. The death of a prostitute was, wasn't really anything unusual in Whitechapel. And of course, being a prostitute is dangerous work, even to this day. Yes. But the way Nichols had been killed was quite shocking. Um, I'm not going to go into too much depth, because I actually found it quite disturbing myself, going down the, the road of doing my notes and mm. all that stuff. So she was quite badly mutilated. So just to name a few wounds. So she she'd had her throat cut very deeply leaving two wounds, one of which had severed the tissue entirely down to the vertebrae. I mean, that's quite grim. Shut life. Her abdomen had been violated with incisions inflicted upon both sides, as she'd been mutilated, especially in parts that I don't want to talk about. No. We try to keep it a bit family-friendly here, even though we swear a lot. Yes, I, I, I don't think whatever time of day that our listeners are listening to this, wherever they're listening to, they perhaps don't need that detail. No, so I think you've done done them a solid. So one week later, after the grim discovery of Nichols' body, we roll forward to Saturday, the eighth of September, where we find the body of forty-seven-year-old Annie Chapman. Oh. Chapman's throat, like Nichols, had been slashed, and her vocal cords had been severed. So. It's quite horrifying. She probably would have been unable to scream and again, body was mutilated. Mm. In the autopsy, it was suspected that the killer took away certain body parts as a sick souvenir. Mm. Apparently, one of them was a kidney. Okay. Hold on to that thought. Do I have to? Oh, it's quite useful to remember that for part of the story in a, okay. in a minute. In the early morning hours of Sunday the 30th of September, the killer struck again. This time, claiming two victims merely hours apart. And this is known as the blood, the bloody double event. So they actually named it, which is quite weird. Yeah. But hey, here we are. The body of Elizabeth Stride, a 44-year-old, was found by Louis Diemutschutz. I think I've got the right. It's a bit of a German name there. DM Schutz. As he drove his horse and two-wheeled cart. Now, DM Schutz was the steward of the International Working Men's Education Club. Now, Stride's body was um, discovered in a poorly lit adjacent yard. 
Now, unlike the other victims, her body had not been mutilated, but blood was flowing freely from a single knife wound to her throat. What? But her body was still warm. So it actually suggests that Stride had only been killed shortly before Diemschutz's arrival. So he may have interrupted the killer while he was mm. doing his thing. Several patrons of the club reported only leaving the premises between 12.30 and 12.50am and later reported to police that they had not observed anything amiss. So um, this man's very good. He hides amongst the shadows. It appears the killer was not satisfied with this death and he struck three quarters of an hour later. Catherine Ed- here we go. Started. There we go. Catherine Eddowes. <clears throat> I think I've got that right again. 46-year-old who had been out drinking on the night of her murder. She was heavily intoxicated by 8.30pm. So, as I mentioned earlier, lots of alcohol in, in the 1800s in Whitechapel. Mm-hmm. And she'd been taken into custody to sober up. Was she safe? Absolutely not. Because nope. she was released by 1am. Her body was found in Mitre Square, about a mile away from Stride's murder. Like previous victims, her throat had been severed. This time, the killer went further with his mutilation, disfiguring her face. He'd removed her nose. What? Her cheeks were slashed and cuts inside vertically through each of her eyelids. I got it wrong. It was actually her that had her kidney removed. So again, hold on to that thought. Right. Now, the police surgeon who conducted the post-mortem on Edo's body stated that he believed the mutilations would have taken only about five minutes to complete. Five minutes. Quick work. Yeah. He doesn't mess around. Now, Mary Kelly was the last known victim of Jack the Ripper. Although she was much younger than her victim, she was only 25. Hmm. Now, she was murdered on Friday the 9th of November. Kelly was killed within the small room that she rented at 13 Millers Court off Dorset Street. So unlike her, unlike the previous killed, she was murdered inside, not out on the streets, which makes this a little bit odd. Yeah. Now, this actually afforded the killer an extensive period to take their time in disfiguring and mutilating the body. Bit grim. During and after the murders, hundreds of letters were sent to the police department and local press claiming to be written by Jack the Ripper. Now, most of these letters, of course, were quickly deemed as fake, either written by people trying to create more terror or by journalists, much like what I do now, to sell more newspapers. Almost all the letters have been disregarded by Ripper experts as hoaxes, but it is possible at least one letter may have been a genuine clue from the killer. Oh. On the 16th of October, George Lusk, the president of the Whitechapel Vigilance Committee, received a three-inch square cardboard box in the mail. Guess what was inside? A bit of liver? A bit of human kidney. Old kidney. Mm. Preserved in wine. Uh, the letter, including sparrow errors, read as follows. This is going to be quite difficult. I say there's spelling errors in this. From hell, Mr. Lusk, saw I send you half the kidney. 
I took from one woman and preserved it from you. Tother piece I fried and ate. I ate it. It was very nice. Mm. Grim. Tasty. I may send you the bloody knife that took it out if you want. A will longer. Signed. Catch me when you can, Mr. Lusk. Now, medical reports found the kidney to be like the one removed from Catherine Eddowes, taken from the left side. But back then, of course, we didn't have any DNA testing, which made it impossible to be certain if it was hers. Uh, The Jack the Ripper murders presented the Victorian police the type of crime that they had little experience of handling. Detectives who dealt with the investigation into the murders found themselves hunting for a killer who was leaving very few clues. Mm. Now, the police, of course, lacked many of the techniques that we have now in the 21st century. Uh, And, you know, there's things missing, like, back then, like fingerprinting, modern forensics, and psychological profiling. Yeah. So that makes it very difficult to track your killer down. Even crime scene photography was a new technique back then, which probably isn't as utilised as well as it is today. No. The fact that the murders were committed in one of the most crime-ridden quarters of London, where the secrecy of criminal elements and of the Whitechapel residents' mistrust of the police also hampered the investigation. Nevertheless, there were several suspects who were questioned, including some of these names, Alex. John Pizer, a.k.a. Leather Apron. Oh. I mean, that sounds like a Batman villain. It does. Well, it conjures images of um, of, of someone covered in in blood who mm. is 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 known to be a butcher. Some description sounds questionable. Anyway, yeah. There was Sarahin Klosowski, aka George Chapman, Francis Tumblety, and Aaron Kosminski. I think I've done quite well. Well, they were the names. Well, yeah. For more than one hundred years later. The Jack the Ripper murders remain one of the most famous and notorious mysteries in history, but it has inspired a whole industry of books, films, TV shows, and graphic novels. It actually kicks off Ripper Street. Have you ever seen that on... Um, I haven't, but I've heard of it. Uh, really good. Drum series, is it? Or? Yeah. Set in Victorian England. Hmm. Um, I'd say it's really good up until the finale of season three. And to be honest, that I couldn't watch season four after that. I just hated it. Oh, really? Mm. What, it ran out of steam or just wasn't... I, I don't think I agreed with the finale of season three. Something bad happens. And I was like, oh, I'm never watching this again. All right. But hey, don't let me put you off. Ripper. Well, I... you already have. But <laughs> I can get to a certain point, I guess, and then not be, um, not be invested. Yeah. Maybe. The locations have also become must-see destinations for tourists as they flock to retrace the steps of Jack the Ripper and his unfortunate victims. I think it's safe to say, Alex, that unless this case is resolved, the infamous legend of Jack the Ripper will continue to fascinate fans of both history and true crime for many more generations. Mm. I think I'm going to drop that accent now. I quite like to. Mm. Might want to break it out, depending on what, what other mysteries got going. The interesting thing is, um, uh, just looking on here on my iPad, chalk my memory. They, there are some suggestions again. No one really knows, do they? They never really know now. But there's some suggestions that Prince Albert 
of royal heritage mm. was the killer. Really? Yeah. Apparently, <clears throat> um, the eldest son, King Edward the Seventh, uh, apparently killed these women after being driven by, uh, mad by syphilis. Well, that makes sense, you know. Which does tell you does cause you to go a bit bonkers. I hear. Happened to King Henry the Eighth, didn't it? He got syphilis. They're all at it, mate. <laughs> They're all at it. Um, and then, well, they, well, they probably were at that time anyway. Um, now, there's actually no evidence that he actually had any sexy, sexually transmitted disease, but he was suffering from gonorrhea. Oh boy. Um, and again, they they reckon that um, he was implicit, perhaps, in terms of uh, of praying against uh, these these poor ladies and. Um, yeah, allowing them to to meet their untimely end. It's um, it's quite grim. Mm. But, I mean, it's it's up for debate about who it could be. I think they even looked at the the way the the handwriting looks in terms of prominent members of society because how quick you could do those incisions, um, with that accuracy mm. only lends itself to people who are particularly skilled. So they looked at yeah. surgeons, looked at doctors, uh, they looked at people who were. You know, field surgeons, or they were this or that, and um, they've whittled it down to a, a small group. But I mean, as you say, Dan, there was no real way of tracking these people down. No, no cameras, no eyewitnesses. Not going to be at half past two in the morning. And if you are an eyewitness, guess what? You're not going to tell anyone in fear of you know being hunted down yourself. So yeah, um, I don't think we'll ever know, Dan. No, which is creepy as hell. Very. It's a very good mystery. I can highly recommend um, if uh, you're visiting London. I know you are next week. Yes, yeah. But got some um, family over from Ireland. Yeah. If any, if anyone's got time to do it, um, there are some great tours going from Tower Hill Tube Station. Yeah. So we'll go up to um, the London, not London Bridge, Tower Bridge, um, and they meet just around the corner from there, and they take you on a journey mm. just across Whitechapel. It's about a five minute walk from there. Uh, from the water's edge on, on uh, the Thames and um, they take to all the different sites and of course Whitechapel looks yeah. very different these days grand big office buildings um, there are the, you know, the old markets nearby but you kind of get a sense as the sun starts to set just how creepy it could be yeah. of course as you say down in Victorian England it's filth it's disgusting it's dark there's gas lamps yeah. that are sparsely lit it's it, I can imagine it's quite a hideous place to be frequenting so I can highly recommend it and you're only part company with say 10-15 quid so if you can do it um, definitely get involved because they're yeah. great a lot of history in London you know so you, we had the Great yeah. Plague in London we had the Great Fire of London the Great Fire of London um, all sorts yeah lots of history there so definitely check out some of those tours you know you don't have to check out Jack the Ripper nope it helps for this episode but yeah yeah definitely most definitely creepy stuff uh, a nice bold opening um, gambit there Dan well I'm going to um, kick off with something a little bit left field Ooh. something a little bit different not so creepy but again does kind of go in the direction of um, conspiracy theories or the Mandela effect uh oh have you heard of the Voynich manuscript no never heard of it okay so it's named after the Polish American antiquities bookseller his name was Wilfred M. Voynick, who acquired in 18, oh, 1912, so I say, the Voynick Manuscript, which is a detailed 
240-page book written in a language or script that is completely unknown. Let me guess, it's Alien. Hold that thought. So he's got this book of, you know, he's not of recent times, in the last kind of 120 years. Uh, and he's got this, 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 this complex volume of images, hand-painted, hand-written, which to you and I, and to, to Wilfred, reads abs- absolutely completely nonsense. Now, his page is also filled with colourful drawings of strange, strange diagrams. Odd events and plants that do not seem to match any known species here on Earth, adding to the intrigue of the document and the difficulty of deciphering it. The original author of the manuscript remains unknown, but carbon dating has revealed that its pages were made sometime between 1404 and 1438. Because it's quite old, then. Pretty old. Um, it's been called the world's most mysterious manuscript. Now, I'm going to quickly switch to here, Dan. Can you describe to the listener exactly what uh, what you're looking at? I've handed you the iPad. I am looking at some very colourful things. So, I don't quite know what these little red things are. They look like alien bacteria. There's a blue thing that looks like a bit like a snowflake. And there's like a flowery looking thing. But it's quite beautiful for its It is, time. isn't it? Yeah. It's very odd. It's almost like um a homemade kind of scrapbook from back in the um back in the day. I mean you've got strange star charts, and you've got plants that look yeah. like something out of Harry Potter, you know, the um uh what are the weeds that you pull up and they oh, squeal and squealing shrub things. Yeah. yeah. Um things like that and these things don't exist. They're denying the world. Of course they don't. We don't have these things. Um, I mean the handwriting again I'm not too sure if you can see it Dan um, it's very eloquently scribbled all joined up um, but it's not in, in any language anyone no. recognises and again it's sort of quite beautifully written it is it's lots of squiggles lots of flowing words um, which adds to the intrigue because of course around this time there's only a certain number of languages um that, that people would be able to, to write in and be able to distribute freely. Mm. Uh, the printing press wasn't widely used at that time, I seem to recall, back in the university days. Um, so it's very difficult to be able to find someone to be able to do this, and they have. Now, theories around the origin and nature of this manuscript, well, some, like the historian artist Nicholas Gibbs, believe it was meant to be a pharmaceutical nature to address topics in medieval or early modern medicine. But yet, they're talking about things that don't exist. There's images in there of people, of plants, of star charts that just, they don't relate to anything Mm. in in this world that we know of. Uh, Many of the pictures and herbs and plants hint at some kind of uh, potential textbook for an alchemist. The fact that many diagrams appear to be of astronomical origin combined with the unidentifiable biological drawings have led to some, some fanciful theories to propose that the book, as you say, Dan, may be of alien origin. Mm. But then, if an alien is coming to Earth to capture and remember these things from a different place, a different planet, why use our technology, which is very basic, just paper and pen or quill? Why not do it on your, your iPad or whatever? <laughs> com- yeah, you know what I mean? Like you're going to be... If you, if you come from a different planet, why would you then revert? And surely that's not the best and most accurate way to capture mm. the knowledge that you hold 
from where you come from. But anyway, that's some ideas. Um, there are some some thoughts around this potentially being from a parallel universe. Interesting. Or from something like the Mandela effect, which is a bleeding of, of different alternate universes alongside our own. One of the most things that theorists can agree about though is that the book actually is unlikely to be a hoax, given the amount of time, money and detail that would have been required to make it. These things do cost money and a lot of time. And as I said, it's a 240 page book. It looks beautiful as you say. It's got wonderful watercolored images mm. and the wording and the writing is quite fantastic. And I can't imagine that was cheap back in the 1400s. Uh-uh. Now, it's in itself quite remarkable actually that he has survived the sounds of time. I stood around. And many, many experts around the world so linguists to artists, art historians and the rest of it, just do not know what they are looking at. To us, I don't know what I'm looking at. I don't it just looks at. beautiful. It is a lovely, detailed set of images. Um, as I say, it's like someone's taken a scrapbook and has scribbled down their worldly knowledge, but the things in there are just absolutely bonkers and don't actually look like anything we've got in this world. No. So um, we don't really know, Dan. Um, in comparison to your mystery, this one's a little bit more sedate, <laughs> but it's quite an interesting one. I would recommend, listener, if you can or you're interested, just Google it. You'll see it on the images very, very quickly. It's the Voynich Manuscript. I'll put all the details in the description below. I'll list all of the mysteries so you can go and find them at your leisure. Um, as Dan suggests, I think you're spot on the money. They are lovely handmade images, but what of? Wouldn't have a foggiest. We don't have a Scooby. But that is my first of four. Nice. I've got a couple of left field ones after this one. Oh, yeah. My favorite. So, another big one the Mary Celeste. Oh, yes. Mm. Now, on November the 7th, 1872, this 282 ton brigantine set sail from New York Harbour on its way to Genoa, Italy. Genoa? Quite a trip. No, I do not. <laughs> oh, he's dropping puns. Yeah. The dad jokes are here all night, guys. Yeah. I'm not even a dad. That's what makes it even worse. On board. That you know of. Wow. No. True that. Don't tell cheeks. Nope. On board were the ship's captain, Benjamin S. Briggs, his wife, Sarah, and their two year old daughter, Sophia, along with eight crew members. Oh, man. That doesn't bode well. We talk about the family. Oh, no. On December the 5th, a passing British ship called Digratia, I think I've got that right, spotted the Mary Celeste at full sail and adrift about 400 miles east of the Azores. But guess what, Alex? What? No sign of the captain, his wife, his daughter, or any of the crew. No way. Aside from several feet of water in the hold and a missing lifeboat, the ship was actually undamaged and it was loaded with six months' worth of food and water. Still intact. Still intact. And to get to the Azores, you've kind of made your trip, right? I think so. If I think my geography is correct. You've crossed quite a... So that's the... Is that the North Atlantic Ocean? I'm just looking at the map on the wall. They would have gone that around that way. So the top of the South Atlantic Ocean, the South and North Atlantic Ocean. You've crossed a big body of water anyway. Yeah. Um, most of your food's intact, undamaged. 
and it's a full sail so they've actually left it as you'd be sailing into the wind wow yeah all gone mm. now the Mary Celeste does have a shadowy past oh yeah my favourite now, it was like yours, Dan. Indeed. It was originally christened the Amazon. It was given a new name after a series of mishaps. Now, this included sudden illness and death of its first captain and a collision with another ship in the English Channel. Oops. Oh, dear. An investigation into whether to grant payment to its insurers to the by its insurers to the Die Gratch's crew for salvaging the... the quote, ghost ship, found no evidence of foul play. The Mary Celeste would sail under different owners for 12 years. Its last captain deliberately ran it aground in Haiti as part of an attempted insurance fraud. Oh. I mean, it's very much like our conspiracy theories of Volume 2 where we talked about the Titanic. Yeah. Which is an interesting one, so definitely go back and re- no revisit too. that episode. If, but this remains as one of the most famous maritime mysteries in history. But why would an experienced captain such as Briggs or his sailors abandon a perfectly good ship? Mm. There's a few theories. There was mutiny, a pirate attack, it gets a little bit more adventurous here, assault by a giant octopus or sea monster <laughs> a kraken yep uh, and the more scientifically minded proposed an explosion was caused by fumes from the 1,700 barrels of crude alcohol in the ship's hold uh, now Sir Arthur Conan Doyle anyone familiar with him? came from Portsmouth indeed he did uh, and also has a few I think he's got a hotel named after him in Yule in Ireland where uh, Claire's family's from he weighed in with a short story published in 1884 in which the inhabitants of the ghost ship fell victim to an ex-slave seeking revenge spooky Mm. but yet there's still no damage no sign of foul play so they say by records at this time so this is just abandoned yep just abandoned Mm. an investigation chronicled in a 2007 documentary called The True Story of the Mary Celeste they were also unable to come to no definite conclusion of what happened on the ship but did suggest a scenario in which a faulty chronometer rough seas and a clogged onboard pump could have led Briggs to order the ship to be abandoned shortly after sighting land on November the 25th, 1872. According to the last entry in the ship's logbook made that morning, Mary Celeste was within sight of the Azores island of Santa Maria, some 500 miles oh. from where the Digratia would find it nine days later. And I have looked, um, and it's, yeah, it's not far off. I mean, you've got some way to go, either to Africa or to Portugal, but you've... You've pretty much made it. Yeah. You're you're just exiting the North Atlantic Ocean, but I mean that that would be a bit of a meteor ocean. But you've made you made a fair amount. Yeah. All they all they had to do was go around Portugal, and they're in Italy. You see these lovely little islands. They would have made it. How interesting! But mm. no one picked picked them up in the Azores. They don't think. No complete mystery. Wow. So that's my second one. 
bleak. Okay, speaking of bleak, um, we're going to dial out now, Dan. Oh, here we go. The incident at the dear. Here we go. Oh boy. The Dyatlov Pass. Have you heard of this? No. Uh, something tells me I'm going to say this word again. The incident at the Dyatlov Pass. So, I'm going to tell you a story. Dan's going to take a glass of water. Um, settle down, boys and girls. He's getting, and his, he's getting his story voice on. I am. Put on your smoking jacket <laughs> and your pipe. Dim, dim your candle lit lights. We're about to fuck some shit up. Uh, the sun's starting to go down here, and we've got the lights on. And these lights flicker also, by the way. Ghosts. But the light is catching in beautifully for this, for this it? story. It's it got is, my yeah. good side, is it? It has. Um, on the first night of February 1959, nine ski hikers died mysteriously in the mountains of what is now Russia. Oh. So we already started off a bit grim. Now, the night of the incident, the group had set up camp on a slope, enjoyed some dinner, and prepared for sleep. But something went catastrophically wrong because the group never returned from their hike. Oh, boy. Now, on the 26th of February, so that's nearly four weeks later, searchers found the hikers' abandoned tent, but being ripped open from the inside. Oh, Surrounding the area with footprints left by the group, some wearing socks, some wearing a single shoe, some barefoot, all of which continued to the edge of a nearby wood. So that would suggest that they're in a bit of a rush to get out. Now, that's where the first two bodies were found, shoeless and wearing only underwear. So they, they probably died of cold in fact that's why they think the first two bodies were actually marks of hypothermia but as medical examiners inventoried the bodies was other seven that were discovered over the months that followed hypothermia no longer made any sense oh boy in fact the evidence made no sense at all one body had evidence of blunt force trauma consistent with a brutal assault okay so maybe someone did him in maybe Uh, the hypothermia kicked in he went nuts and or they had a disagreement over dinner. But either way, blood force trauma, so someone's taken a hit to the head. Another had third degree burns though. Okay. That's a new one. One had been vomiting blood. Ooh. One was missing a tongue. And some of their clothing was found to be radioactive. So you've got a number of causes of death. Some are similar, but actually a lot of them widely range, but none of them really relate to a small group of hikers no. hiking at a mountainside and set up a camp. There's no correlation with any of those deaths. Now, theories floated include the KGB interference, drug overdose, of course UFOs make a, a visit. Yeah, obviously. Gravity anomalies, whatever the hell that is, <laughs> and the Russian version of the Yeti. Now, recently a documentary filmmaker presented a theory involving a terrifying but real phenomenon called infrasound, in which the wind interacts with the topography, so the the way in which the mountains or the hillsides are made of, to create a barely audible hum that can nonetheless induce powerful feelings of nausea, panic, dread, chills, nervousness, raised heartbeats, and breathing difficulties. Now, I'll talk about some of these things actually in a separate mystery. But that could induce 
senses of fear will turn people maybe perhaps a little bit mm. cuckoo. The only consensus remains that whatever happened involved an overwhelming and possibly inhuman force. Yeah, odd one, Dan. <laughs> uh, no one can come to because all of the the, de- the deaths, apart from the fact of they were all together camping, it doesn't look like there's any kind of external force. No. Why were they in a rush? Why did they, also, you know, slash themselves out of their tent? And then how have you got such a wide range of um, of ailments or, or injuries? That is odd. Very strange. Doesn't make any sense because all the deaths are very different. Mm-hmm. You'd sort of expect to see all the deaths sort of be very similar. Yep. And surely, you know, there was there was a group of them. Was it nine skiers? They all died. You know, one or two people. They could have probably fought them off, maybe. Mm. But there was no sign of any. Well, not there would be after that amount of time. But there was no evidence of uh, external foul play. Very odd. Very strange. So that's the uh, Dyatlov Pass, uh, and sadly, nine people met that untimely end. Ouch. Grim. Mm. So I go to the field now. Oh, yeah. Have you ever heard of the Flannan Isles Lighthouse? No. Let's go back to 1900. Tell me. Three keepers of the Flannan Isles Lighthouse off the west of coast of Scotland disappeared under the strangest of circumstances. Hmm. Now, the lighthouse was manned by a three-person team. So you have Thomas Marshall, James Ducat, and Donald MacArthur. Very very Scottish name. Mm. The fourth man rotating in from shore. Now, on Boxing Day of 1900, the relief keeper arrived to find no one present at the lighthouse. The only sign that was that anything was amiss was an overturned chair near the kitchen table. No bodies were ever found, which has led to endless speculation. So here are some of the theories. Drowning, being abducted by foreign spies, a ghost ship. Hmm, <laughs> Celeste. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Mary Celeste. Yep. Or a giant sea monster. Or the Kraken. It's all connected, Dan. It is. It is. Whatever happened back in December 1900 at the Flannan Isles Lighthouse, we'll never know. There's something freaky about Lighthouse, don't you think? <laughs> yeah. They're, they're solitary buildings that are towering by the very nature and purpose of their construction, but towering over everything else that's on like the edge of almost humanity looking out into the abyss of the sea now I'm getting quite romantic in my words you can tell but it's quite you know what I mean like it's it is isn't it like I don't think there's any sum of money that you could pay me to actually live in a lighthouse nah but I, uh, in the UK at least there's very I think there's only one or two now I might be making it up probably am listener well the one in South Sea isn't on anymore no it stopped about I want to say it was back in 2015 I might be wrong I think most of them are unmanned they're all automated now I think there's only one or two maybe there is a one or two in Scotland mm. that actually do have someone maintaining it and that's just out of you know, tradition they don't have to but would you do that job? nah I'd be bored and plus it'd probably get lonely right? 
It's it's a good noises. A team, yeah. On a stormy night, up Wind. in the stony concrete tower, on your own, you're at the top of the tower, perhaps. Imagine mm. at the bottom, you hear something at the top. Oh. Well, I don't know what'd be worse. You're at the bottom, you hear something at the top, or you're at the top and hear something at the bottom. Yeah. I used to watch a. Um, I mean, if people have listened to previous episodes, I'm into paranormal investigations, and I used to mm. watch Ghost Adventures. And one of the best episodes I ever saw was in the lighthouse. Oh. And some of the weirdest stuff happens in that episode. For sure. But no, I can do it. I think I either get really bored, I would yeah. leave pretty damn quickly by the, some of the noises and see I'd just be paranoid that there's a ghost or something. Or D, you know, sea monster or a ghost ship come and abduct me. Yeah. So, yeah, that is... A strange mystery. A little left field. Thought I'd sort of throw I'll that I'll a little there. one. I'll the next one gets a little bit more interesting. It's an urban legend. But we'll go on to your third oh, one, Alex. A bit of a teaser. Well, if you remember down long ago, and listener, the instance at the Diet Love Pass, and they uh, they talked about this infrasound. Well, we're kind of continuing with this. It's probably by accident. But I read this, or I heard this in a podcast, I don't know four years ago maybe as I was travelling for work um, and it's come up more recently and this is Havana Syndrome Havana Syndrome you know how this? no this is really interesting actually it's relatively recent compared to a lot of the other mysteries we've talked about so far so let me take you back to a simpler time 2016 oh, simple simple time I would have been uh 30 years old uh, a wee nipper <laughs> what were we doing in 2016 um, probably not an awful lot not doing a podcast I know that much no we weren't but probably going out drinking maybe we didn't have kids yeah did we drink yeah no we did travelling I went to China enjoying some freedoms that's the key thing here so in 2016 a simpler time Dozens of diplomatic staff at the US and Canadian embassies in Havana began experiencing a sudden onset of health troubles with no apparent cause down. Oh boy. Now they reported a variety of symptoms including vertigo, nausea, vision and hearing difficulties, memory loss and headaches. That sounds like me after um, last weekend going towards the football, but uh, I digress. <laughs> now, many said they were felt something pressing or vibrating again around them or heard noises just before the symptoms appeared, leading some to suspect they had been exposed to a high-intensity burst of energy or sound waves. Now, known as Havana Syndrome today, there are at least 200 CIA, State Department and Pentagon personnel stationed overseas who have been affected or afflicted by this condition. The night in itself, Dan, is quite interesting because all those government agencies <clears throat> tend to be quite secretive. Yeah. So the fact, actually, even in recent times, you know, I'm, I'm still talking uh, six years, but even recent times, they've been willing to share this information, which is, you know, is exposing um, perhaps vulnerabilities of their staff or their infrastructure. Mm. So it's interesting actually that they've shown their hand. Now, um, intelligence agencies have been unable to determine what's behind these incidents, though some officials believe they're a result of attacks by a US adversary. 
Now, a recent flurry of high-ranking US diplomats, <coughs> spies and secret aides have been treated for Havana syndrome, probably signaling a uh, escalation of some sort, intelligence analysts say. Now, interesting enough, uh, and if it rings a bell, the reason why it might, Dan, because the most recent victims include a US diplomat in Serbia who was va- evacuated by the CIA um, about three months ago according to the Wall Street Journal report, and an aide travelling with the CIA director, William Burns, in India also developed symptoms. This year, not sure if you heard of this guy or lady, Vice President Kamala Harris. Oh, yes. Her trip to Vietnam was delayed after two officials and the embassy in Hanoi, lovely city, by the way, shout out to our Vietnamese listeners, um, became ill. So she actually she delayed her flight by about two or three days whilst they mm-hmm. investigated why these people became ill, uh, and it's been flagged by these government agencies. If you've got these symptoms, you're to notify the correct authorities as soon as possible because it indicates that there could be an attack, Jesus, or an attack in progress. But they don't know how. Dan. They yeah. don't know why. Now, actually, to that point, the CIA replaces Vienna Station Chief. So. It's a big deal to be a chief of a CIA station. At least TV programs mm-hmm. tell us. We can now go off, obviously, what the the, the the dramas tell us. But you're in, you're in charge of an important representation of the US arm of intelligence, right? Yeah. Well, they were removed for failing to adequately respond to reports of Havana syndrome-like symptoms by two dozen intelligence officers and diplomats last summer. Ooh. So they ignored it. And the chief bigwigs in the CIA said, you're going to lose your job, mate, because you didn't report this. It sounds like it was an attack. Now, the cause of these illnesses have not been identified, but one theory is that it's high-intensity microwaves may be to blame. Now, of course, if it's the US being affected, you suggest it's probably Russia who's at fault. And it's been well-documented in history, dating back to Joseph Stalin, of using microwaves against the US to disrupt intelligence operations. And that is where they think that the cause of this really emanates. When they've done some investigations on the people who have recently suffered from this, now they know they're looking out for these things yeah. in these um, establishments. When they're investigating, they show signs or appearing of concussion to the brain, which are related to microwave or being received in microwaves. So you think that microwaves is is the way in which they do it, and of course that way then it can pass through certain materials, through windows, you can easily point these things from quite a distance, if you've got the power behind it, to actually affect and to disrupt operations. Yeah. And so they reckon there's some kind of counter um, sleuthing or some description that uh, is targeting the poor US Jeez. Officials, and they're getting quite poorly. But they still don't know why. Uh, no rhyme or reason. There's no real um, trail of microwaves, as I'm sure you guys know. If you've got one at home, it warms up your food, lovely. But um, it doesn't really leave anything else much. That's the whole point of it, right? You yeah. don't want any kind of leftover residue from your microwave on your dinner. No, definitely not. Although, rarely is it not the other way around where your dinner is left inside the microwave. Do you ever find out when you accidentally overheat for something too long, it suddenly goes, yeah. You go, oh crap, and you run to the microwave, open it, and then potatoes explode inside, or the milk's milk's the worst, right? Yeah. Stinks. 100%. And you're like, that's gonna set, and I'm now gonna spend the next half an hour scrubbing this bastard. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? 
I don't really use my microwave that often. I don't either. I prefer to cook from scratch, but you know, it comes in useful. Connoisseur. For leftovers. Yeah, 100%. Zero food waste. Um, but yeah, there are, there, because of that, there's no real sign of, um, of foul play. Mm. But yeah, it's uh, up until recently actually still been a thing, and it's affecting um, North American individuals. Just going to sidestep for a second. Let's mm. go back to the microwave. Yeah. Where do you stand on reheating your Domino's or Pizza Hut in a microwave? No. No, 100% got to be cold. No. No? Oven. Oh, the oven. Yeah, doing the oven. I've read somewhere that um, if you... I'm not saying you make it soggy, Dan. But if you sprinkle your Domino's... I don't have Domino's enough to be able to try this out, by the way. Um... <laughs> But if you sprinkle your dominoes with bits of water, you know, like if you get a part baked bread, a yeah, part baked yeah. roll, and I'm not sure if anyone else does this, but if you run your hands under the tap and then rub pre cooked the doughy, doughy roll, um, phallically rubbing this thing, but Dan knows <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. I'm, yeah, not, yeah. I'm not propositioning you in No, the, I, um, I do the same with naan bread. So yeah, yeah, if you okay, buy it yeah. from the superstore, I always sort of sprinkle it with a bit of 100%. water bake it and then it sort of stays nice and fluffy yeah and there's some brown patches and it cooks more evenly and looks lovely and yeah. has a nice crunch uh, apparently you do that on a pizza and it apparently does work in a microwave because um, well, it steams right yeah. water immediately turns steam reheats and steams the, the pizza to become fresh again but it also so true is the fact of in an oven and it gives it a new lease of life Ooh. so no oven for me just because I think get a better taste and it all crisps up but yeah a little bit of water Dan uh, goes a long long way full of tips here there you go there we go culinary delights of uh, of Domino's I do love a cold pizza though I'm not going to lie hungover or just generally generally oh wow yeah You. I mean I can't be bothered to heat up if it's in the fridge it's, it's cold fair game. it's fair game okay would you ever eat a pizza out of a bin if you've discarded it in an act of lunacy or perhaps whatever came <laughs> across uh, either these poor people in Havana or in the Diet Love Pass you've lost your mind uh, instead of clawing your loved ones to death you just ditch your Domino's pizza in an act of lunacy in the morning you wake up and think ah actually it's still in this box <laughs> would you go dumpster diving? no even if it's in this box? even if it's in this box yeah because I know what's been in the bin yeah you know, it's usually like cat litter and. Oh yeah, actually, fair play. Maybe the. You cat got principles. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not touching that pizza. Okay, it's dead. It's, it's, it's gone. Okay, well, fair enough. But I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far. There's no lunacy here. It goes yeah. in the fridge, and it comes out cold the next day. And you're day. savouring that. I mean, they're quite expensive too, aren't they? So mm. you're not gonna be throwing away that expensive pizza. No, definitely not. Are there uh, pizza establishments available? Yes. We're not endorsed by uh, Domino's. If Domino's want to get in contact with us or sponsor us, I'm not sure my waistline can actually um, can deal with the sponsorship, but I'll never say no. I'll never pass pass by good food. If if you just want to give me a pizza a month, I'll be happy. And we'll plug your little advert in at the start of the episode. Why not? Let's do it. Come on, Domino's. Hit or that. Papa John's. Play them off each other. Yeah. My other half doesn't like Papa John's, though. No? no. The, the garlic butter's a bit odd. It's yeah. quite solid. Was I quite like the the drizzle of the sauce, yeah. The the garlic herb sauce, yeah. Which is obviously just you know, Domino's, perfect. Oh, so good. I know we sidestepped there, but I just had to ask. Getting hungry. Because we're talking about microwaves. I can have a second dinner, Dan. 
I might have to have a snack when I get home. Mm, anyway, yes. uh, this is my fourth and final mystery. Tell me. It's an urban legend. Have you heard of the big grey man? We talked about the grey man on Netflix. Yeah, but this is a different grey man. Okay. He's a creature, an inhuman creature. Mm, my favourite. That is said to haunt the summit and passes of the second highest peak of Scotland. Ben McDewey. Oh, right. I think I've pronounced that right. I'm sure Scottish listeners will get in contact to let us know otherwise. Uh, otherwise, I'm I'm one-eighth Scott, so I should, should really be doing this it's justice. even worse, yeah. In the native Scottish tongue, the creature is known as Amphiliath Moor. Okay. Because they've given him a name. So that's something from uh, Lord of the Rings? Indeed. Hmm. It's a bit like the Yeti of the Himalayas... Uh, and Bigfoot, also known as Sasquatch, of the American Pacific Northwest. The mm. grey the big grey man, shall I say, has been seen by few eyewitnesses. So what makes this creature frightening? Mm-hmm. His physical characteristics don't resemble that of a bear, and this sightings can't be dismissed as bear sightings. Those that have seen the big grey man Describe as extremely tall, roughly 10 foot or more. Pretty tall. And human-like, but he has short hair, broad shoulders, like me, and long arms, not like me. So who's cutting this this guy's hair then? I don't know. He's got to have a hairdresser if he's got short hair, right? Yeah. Or is he cutting it on his own? Oh. In a cave somewhere in in the mountains. Now, nearly all reports of sightings include the sound of gravel crunching beneath footfalls. Scientists haven't been able to come up with any explanation for the sightings and the accompanying sounds. Now, now psychologists have proposed that those who have supposedly seen and heard the big grey man have been in a state of physical and mental anguish brought on by exhaustion and or isolation. Of course. This is the second highest peak in Scotland. This Mm. is quite tall. For now, though, the big grey man remains a mystery, much like Sasquatch. But if you go to Scotland, listeners, and if you do run to the big grey man, we want to know. We do. Get in touch. We'll put in some contact details at the end. I struggle a little bit with these urban legend myths, I guess, retrospectively. And just generally, right? So, you know, on social media, on the news, you watch it and they always show CCTV images and they say, do you recognise this person? Yeah. It's often the most pixelated piece of shit you've ever seen. And with technology now, you'd think we'd be doing better than this. You've got telescopes. You've got telescopes pointing to other fucking galaxies, (laughs) showing you clear as day images of, you know constellations that are no longer yeah. around millions of, they've died millions of years ago and the light's just reaching us now you can make crystal clear images of, of, of planets or satellites how can you not get a crystal clear image of someone that's like less than six metres away from a camera that's something I have beef with Yeah. but what I also think is quite um, um, quite challenging is the fact of a lot of these things there's no visual evidence so people say they've heard or they've seen things fine 
but there's there's always grainy footage or shaky cameras this day and age get your camera phone out it's already in your hand anyway you're already yeah. scrolling social media or posting your TikTok take a bloody picture of this this strange creature yeah Tom DeLong of Blink Wake 2 Angels and Airwaves he goes on a lot of um, Bigfoot hunting mm. as far as I'm aware he hasn't found them yet but he has discovered aliens and of course a lot of the intelligence which he knew about has now been brought out by the, the American government it's being released it's being released very slowly and uh, he's got apparently bits of UFO craft and stuff did you listen to the Steve episode I did it's actually really really interesting yeah talks a lot about consciousness and love and all that stuff and how you open up your full soul. potential yeah. soul yeah it's really like it's, it's quite deep it's deep than I thought it would be but I think I was also quite shocked and uh, no offence to Tony Blink fans or Tom himself or even Steve-O but they're both really articulate mm. like they sound clear and cloudy of mind yeah Tom hasn't been on drugs for years um, he, he was sort of quite well known for hitting up strong painkillers and being addicted to those mm. and he's sort of been the morph around Angels and Airwaves era because he was coming out doing some weird um, you know promos through Kerrang and stuff he would say things like this music's the second coming of Christ and as a Tom fan you know the man that influenced me to pick up a guitar and stuff I look at that and go uh, what are you talking about? Mm. Like, don't get me wrong Angels and Airwaves as a band blew me away at the time phenomenal music but my but idol could. was talking some weird stuff. Yeah. So he's binned off. So you're right in what you're saying that he's very sort of clear-headed, very sound mind, and he knows what he's talking about. And even Steve-O, I mean, uh, I think I did I mention to you. you, you do you know why he, he speaks the way he does? Did we talk about this? No. Oh, um, I can't even. I can't even. You know, uh, mimic the way that Steve-O talks. But he's quite different. Yeah, definitive it's quite yeah. identifiable he speaks quite gutturally and raspy very raspy it's because he's one of the few people in the world that do I'm sure most people can but he talks using his um, throat muscles oh. not using his vocal cord weird hence why it's quite uh, it vibrates in a different way yeah it's quite a distinct very much so quite raspy it sounds like he's smoking 40 cigarettes a second mm. um Anyway, he, you know, this is the guy that, you know, every couple of weeks puts his balls in the alligator's mouth or, <laughs> or does something. But again, it's it's quite an interesting podcast. I really enjoyed it, actually. It's a good shout. It's a good recommendation. Yeah, go check it out if you want to learn more about aliens and how we could potentially unlock our full potential with our mind. It's just a, that's fascinating. And they do end up talking about um, uh, meditation. and Yeah. Yeah, it's just a really good episode. So, yeah, it's a good shout out. Um... But we're still going to be in the realms of mystery. No aliens. Well, I guess you could could argue they've got a hand in most things. But in my final one, Dan, this is the Canadian mystery of the missing feet. Oh. Or you could okay. see it the way around as missing bodies. Yeah. Now, on the 20th of August, 2007... So this isn't long ago. Uh-uh. A 12-year-old girl spotted a lone blue and white shoe running shoe a men's size 12 very specific on a beach of British Columbia's Jedediah Island now she looked inside and found a sock that's probably where you should stop right but she looked inside the sock and found a foot ooh yeah not good for a 12 year old girl I'm pretty sure she's going to need counselling 
Now, six days later on the nearby Gabriola Island, a Vancouver couple, enjoying a seaside hike, came across a black and white Reebok. Fancy. Now, inside it was another decomposing foot. It, too, was a men's size 12. But the two feet clearly didn't belong to the same person. I mean, they were different shoes for starters. Um, And also, they both contained right feet. So it wasn't that someone lost their feet wearing different <laughs> shoes and they were matching right and left. It was two right feet. So hopefully two different people, right? Unless Is that hopefully, Dan? Well, no, not maybe not two, hopefully. Two people lost their, lost their lives. Um, I think we've got a, um, a suspect in the hands here, listener, because uh, Dan slipped, said something he perhaps shouldn't have done. Um, police were stunned. Two being found in such a short period of time is quite suspicious, Gary Cox, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, told the Vancouver Sun. Finding one foot is like a million to one odds, but to find two is crazy. I've heard a dance with two left feet, but come on, he says. Now, the next year, five more feet, Dan. Five? Yeah. Are they all right-footed by any chance? Um, don't think so. They don't say. Oh. Uh, but I don't think so appeared on nearby Canadian beaches. Now, discoveries have ratcheted up the public's fears as the media speculation soared. Was a serial killer on the loose, akin to how you opened the episode, Dan? Yeah. Um, Jack the Ripper. Or did um, or did this guy have something against feet? Now, over the course of the next 12 years, a total of 15, Dan, washed ashore in the area of Vancouver Island, a network of waterways called the Salish Sea. Now, six more turned up on Puget Sound, which lies across the US border at the southern end of the sea. And with the exception of one foot wearing an old hiking boot, all of them were encased in trainers or, if our American friends are listening, sneakers. Yeah. Now, the trainer clad feet became famous, even garnering their own Wikipedia page. And with the fame came hoaxes, so pranksters stuffed shoes with chicken bones or skeletonized dog paws and scattered them among the Canadian shorelines. So you got people, I guess, being um, uh, pranks, pr- playing pranks or, you know, um, trying to confuse or, or make a name for themselves. A bit like our fake letters with Jack the Ripper. Uh, yeah. Just to stir a bit more trouble. Yeah. Copycats are time I'm looking for, Dan. They could be copycats. Yeah. <laughs> now, um, tipsters called police with all manner of theories about the origins of the feet. We get some very interesting tips that come in about serial killers or con- containers full of migrants that are sitting at the bottom of the ocean. Aliens had that one as well, says Lara Yazajan, a forensic anthropologist who works as a human identification specialist for the British Columbian Coroner's Service. Mm. And occasionally a psychic. Actually, pretty much every single time, a psychic will call and offer to help, she says. What psychics, Dan? Do you ever take one on your ghost tools ghost no. hunts no um, the guys we do it with some ghost society they don't really sort of believe in that sort of stuff no. they don't bring them along but now interesting to talk about psychics mm. um, a lot of my team have gone to see a gentleman uh, based in Portsmouth I can't remember his name now Paul I know his first name is Paul I can't remember the surname uh, now they've all gone to see him now you make an appointment by just texting him you don't give him any information you don't say what your name is can I just book an appointment there, that's it you're done now some now they've all come back and they've said that he's come up with some phenomenally like accurate stuff like names references to their past mm. so I do believe that there are people probably on a higher plane than us or like 
on their mind I suppose is that mm. the best way to put it like a different wavelength yeah yeah but sometimes I do think there are people that just, just charlatans charlatans yeah. yeah would you want to know if this if this person could tell you did it does does he profess to tell you about your future or is it just about your past uh, little bits of your future as well apparently. would you want to know do you know what I've been toying with it so this guy's only like 40 quid for an hour so it's not great big bucks not bad going right but equally do I really want to hear what he's going to tell me do I want to f- know who's coming through and has a message yeah so I just find that one a little bit freaky but then you know this is the guy that does ghost hunts every other week so. true you dabble in the same similar circles I don't know I don't think I'd want to know Dan no because then it's like predestination and then well, you the, can sort of I mean you can alter your future yeah but then there's like the the grandfather paradox like if if you went to go if I don't know if there's that the paradox no it's not talk about something else in time travel but um there's another paradox in as much as if you know about your past or your future so I say are you going to behave in such a way that it comes true yeah so you're sort of always sort of pushing it yeah, in the direction that you were you were told it was going to happen. Mm. You know, I don't know. Is I don't think I'd want no personally. No, don't, not the not the future stuff anyway. Not for me. But anyway, um, we digress again. Um, now, scientists think there's a rationale for why we only have feet and not the rest of the bodies. So they don't actually explain why the bodies wash up. That's still a mystery. Yeah. But the exact cause is, um, well, Karen Raj, a surgeon with the NHS here in the UK, probably has got a TikTok following, or of course, explains it has to do with how sea scavengers break down bodies and modern trainer shoe design. Hmm. So why would a certain shoe design, Dan, have a part to play in this, do you think? Mm, no idea. Well, Karen says it was actually because of the footwear industry. When a human corpse, this is grim, when a human corpse sinks to the bottom of the ocean, it is quickly set upon by scavengers. This means joints like the ankle and knee are easily entry points to the body and are largely made of soft tissue and ligaments as opposed to bone, which means, you know, they're a tasty meal yeah. and easy made up of. It's also believed that the bizarre finds only begin when lighter and more buoyant shoes become available, Dan. Meaning that any detached foot is more likely to rise to the surface and wash ashore. So these sea scavengers are gnawing through the soft, tasty bits of your foot. Yeah. And then because it's attached to a, a lovely looking Reebok or Nike Classic, that then drifts off to the surface right. and washes ashore. Okay. So I think there's a good reason why it's only the feet, but they don't know why you've suddenly found a odd number of feet yeah. washing up on the shores in a particular area or coastline of Canada. Yes, interesting. So very odd. And again, yeah, it's quite a quite a recent thing. I don't think they've had any recent um, instances. I mean, it could be that there was a, uh, a serial killer, Dan, and they've gone about dispatching of people, and that's the evidence. Yeah. It could be that people sadly were taking their own lives, but, you know, surely they've done DNA testing or missing persons. I don't know. Like, they haven't found anything. Seemingly to link back to actual people, you know, the origins. I'm not mm. sure if you can go off much on a lot of a foot these days, but 
we talked about at the beginning of the episode science yeah I don't know but it's very odd very the very mystery weird. is still to be um, to be solved amazing feet down feet uh, now we did get one from the listener oh yeah so we got Dan he says and uh, this actually ties back nicely to what Grindr gears from last year oh yeah how did we come I don't know how this is a mystery but it is how did we come to a place in civilised society where wearing crocs became acceptable <laughs> the iceberg goes deeper than that though you can get knock off crocs knock off bloody crocs it's unbelievable it's true if you go it to Primark true. and other um, low cost clothing stores are available um, they were there and they're imitation crocs if it wasn't bad enough you can get the original and be seen out wearing them seemingly these guys are at the cutting edge of, of we can hear the seagull in the background guys love it sound of the shy horse yeah sound of the south coast they, they've done a lot of barking recently I'm not sure whether it's yeah is it like mating season for them I don't know but we we get quite a big flock around Fratton and it's just insane I'm noticing a lot of them um, I think it's a nest around there um, yeah they're, they're, they're on sale now so seemingly that's fashion who's buying these crocs I don't know I can tell you who is though one of my friend's sons buys one and his twin was proper ribbing about, about it how old uh, I think they're 15 Mm. You do make some questionable choices as a yeah. teenager, don't you, clothing-wise? Uh, my other half questioned whether she should get some or not. <gasps> so apparently they're very comfortable, you know, to walk around the house. I hear this. Go do some gardening, you know, all that, all the good stuff. And then it becomes more of a, well, they are pretty comfy. I'm going to go shopping in them. Yeah. But then she was like, no. Thank God. Got to draw a line somewhere, haven't you? Yeah. Um, but if you want to hear us ranting about Crocs, definitely go check out what grinds your gears. Yes. I think we need to a volume two of that, you know. Oh yeah, there'd be loads more now. Yeah. Obviously, with with the pandemic thrown in, there's all manner of things that annoy us. Oh, it's always something that annoys me. Something new every week. Put the feelers out. Let's do a volume two. Let's do a volume two. Done. Let's do it. I can't wait for that one. Well, that wraps up for World Mysteries Volume One. Because I, I mean, it's a big rabbit hole. We could, oh yeah, we loads. could have been we could have been here all night talking about some of the weird stuff that goes on on planet Earth. Indeed. So maybe we revisit that one again in a few months. Yeah, lots it sounds of stuff. like we need to do a Mandela Effect Volume Two now. I do. I know we do. God, we need to get our act together and figure out when and where we're doing this stuff because yeah. we've got some other bits coming up, Alex. Have we? Yeah. Uh, maybe not in the immediate future, but very close. We're going Tell to me. Do Cobra Kai. Season oh, yes. five. It's not long. Uh, September, is it? September. Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about the future of Marvel. So obviously where the podcast started, the bread and butter. Mm-hmm. Um, we obviously we're going to talk about Morbius and Sony stuff as well. Yeah. And how or why it's going or what to be. is going on? Amy yeah. Pascal, tell us because we don't know. No, we we can't figure it out. And obviously we'll talk about more of that. Um, what else? I don't know whether we'll do a review of She Hulk or not. Probably. I think we probably should. That's that soon, right? Yeah. Do, have you seen the teaser clip? Mm, I've seen the second trailer that was like a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Where they've redone the CGI and it just looks, looks less, less shrecky. Less rubbery. Yeah. But yeah, there's a teaser clip now. They dropped it yesterday at the time of okay. recording. Um, it's just uh, She-Hulk and Bruce just hanging out, training. It's quite good. Oh, I have seen this. Yeah. yeah. They're bickering. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. 
Um, so maybe we'll do do that as well if uh, by yeah. popular demand. But if you want to get in touch, if you want to let us know if there's anything you want us to actually yes, cover, please, yeah, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at on the topic pod. We've Absolutely. got Gmail, which is on the topic podcast at gmail.com. And of course, Alex, we've got WordPress. We do, yeah. Uh, on topic podcast, all lowercase dot wordpress.com. Uh, go over there, you can see our ugly mugs, our bios. If you want to know a little bit more about us and what we look like, um, I wouldn't bother if I was honest. Skip, skip past that and uh, slap any details for your newsletter so you could be notified when there's a new episode coming out. Uh, so you never have to miss. One of our lovely time relevant audio delicious mm. episodes. Um, you've got links to our affiliate clothing website, Morbid and Mundane, by Joey, um, who's given us, we pay for them, by the way. Um, but nonetheless, it's some lovely t shirt designs yeah. and beanies. So go have a look if, uh, if you want uh, some clothing inspiration. And or a whole back catalogue. So if you don't have a particular pro- podcast player of preference, then you can stream them all from WordPress. Indeed. And yeah. hopefully we'll be slowly coming onto YouTube soon. Yes. Got to do some editing, Dan. Yeah, I need uh, to do some work to... Some banners. Get, yeah, some banners. We'll but yeah, why not? You know, we, we want to be accessible in every form or fashion. So yeah, we'll be uh, mentioning how you can get in contact with us. Well watching us but also you can leave the comments I guess on the video as well um, in the coming weeks and months indeed but for this week well I better head off back to the Flannan Isles um, there's a lighthouse that's unguarded so, uh, I've been Dan and um, well uh, I'm not going hiking anytime soon and camping in the foothills of Russia I'm Alex go find your left foot we'll see you next time <laughs> <laughs>